Hey, I'm Pastor Paul Watson, and you're listening to the official podcast of the Downtown Vineyard Church. At DTV Church, we are followers of Jesus, and we believe that relationships are holy and that God loves everyone. We are so excited that you are part of our online community of faith, and from wherever you're listening, I hope you are blessed by this message this week. Oh, good. You guys doing all right? Good. Good. You know, uh, uh, the last service we had technical difficulties and uh, nothing was working. And, uh, and so there's this, this piece for me, though, that I actually kind of like when that happens. Like, you know, you'd think that the pastor would be like, oh, no, like those things don't, didn't work right. But I think that way too often we live in this world where everything is supposed to just work out. And the truth is it doesn't. You know, it, it's interesting that we live in this world where we, we think that everything's supposed to go a certain way. And literally, Genesis to Revelation tells us that the hope that we have in the world is that the world, it's going to be a hard, hard road to hoe. And our hope is that we have Jesus. And so sometimes it's like when it just doesn't go as smoothly as it, you want it to, you're like, oh, that's perfect. Because <laughs> that's how life really is. So before we get going too far, I just want to pause for a second and Probably the past few years of saying this next sentence has became more and more and more and more true for me. I am so grateful for those who serve our nation. If you are a veteran, whether you're serving currently or you've served in the past, would you stand up? I know we have some. I know we have some. Okay, wait, 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 wait a second, wait a second. Stay standing, stay standing, because we're going to flip the script here. Stay standing. Okay, stay standing, we're going to flip the script. Okay, now, if you are a veteran, would you please sit down, and everybody else who has not served, would you stand up and give these guys a big, like, standing ovation? Yeah. Awesome. I really do mean that from the bottom of my heart. You may be seated. I do mean that from the bottom of my heart. It really is this thing that uh, the more that you recognize what service means to a country or that what service means to a church or what service means to an organization, that you realize that it is a sacrifice and it is a choice and people could choose to do other things. And that yet they say, you know, I'm going to go serve my country. And it really is a blessing even if, even if you didn't serve, we are thankful and grateful for people who do. It, it's a choice that people make and go, I'm going to serve my country, and so thank you very much. Before I get too far in, I want to tell you about a, a special project that we have coming up. That we're going to try something new. You know, if you've been a part of the church for any length of time, I'm not a special offering guy. I think I've maybe taken one special offering in the past five years. I really do believe that a church is supposed to function on the dollars that are given. I believe that the, the church people are supposed to be generous and not selfish. And I believe that in, that in that exchange of what God does in our heart, that we give, and we don't give reluctantly, we give out of a joyful spirit that says, Lord, here, you have blessed me, here's a, a portion of that back, generally a tenth. Here's a portion of that back, and Lord, use this for your kingdom work. And then the church is supposed to take those dollars, and the church is literally supposed to use that for kingdom work, to make sure the gospel is preached and the poor are fed. I believe that with all my heart. And so I'm not an extra special offering guy, but on November 21st, we're going to take one. And I'm going to give you some heads up on it. 
A bunch of years ago, seven years ago as a matter of fact, we, took, um, we invited Compassion International to come in and we adopted 60 children from this little village, these two little villages that is just 45 minutes from Santa Tecla um, or San Salvador. And the goal for our church was seven years ago, we were going to go visit those children and we would go there every year and we would write our letters and we would serve them and we would make sure that they were cared for because Compassion does a really incredible job. And that didn't happen. There's a whole bunch of reasons why it didn't happen, but if you have your kid from from that time, our little guy's name is Brian and he is on our refrigerator. He is our refrigerator child. And, uh, and we write him letters and, and we send him gifts and we send him Christmas money and that they can buy presents for him. And we do that and we've been doing that for seven years. And, and so that didn't happen. And so I've had my eye on El Salvador for seven years. Three years ago, I happened to be at a mission conference with my friend Pete, who's over here. And we just happened to be in this room. And somebody said, somebody said, hey, listen, we think there's some churches in El Salvador. Would anybody want to go check that out? And Pete and I went, we'll go do it. Now, now listen, there's a reason behind that. And the reason behind that is because we want to figure out how we can get back to those kids, right? And so we went down there and sure enough, we find these five churches that nobody planted. No vineyard came down and said, hey, we're going to help you plant a church. What happened was this, this guy who's now a friend of mine, he is a fervent reader and he was reading about John Wimber and he was reading about the vineyard and how the Holy Spirit shows up in these churches called the vineyard and people are getting healed and, and prayers happening and, and ministries happening. They, they're compassionate and they care for the, the poor and they're also very um, culturally relevant to their communities and they help lots of people. And he literally had a sign made and he hung it on his door. He said, I'm vineyard. And then his friend said, what, what are you? He goes, I'm Vineyard. He goes, what's the Vineyard? He goes, well, there's this guy by the name of John Wimber, and you should read his books, and it's amazing, and and they're culturally relevant, and they they care for the poor, and and he goes, well, I want to be that. And he went and hung a sign on his church, and he started calling himself Vineyard. And over time, five of these guys have done that. Okay, now I'm going to connect some dots for you of of something that we're going to do. So... In the back of our heart, we've had these kids in El Salvador that we've been supporting. And now we've found these churches down there that we've been going to now for three years. We've been going down there and we've been helping these pastors. We've been helping them preach and we've been helping them like spend time with them and raise them up and help them become better pastors. And so this past week when I was at the national conference, my friend Brian, um, uh, he is over Convoy of Hope in our area. And Convoy of Hope is this organization that does disaster relief. And the very first place that they went into was El Salvador. The very first disaster relief moment that this little organization said, we're going to start and start caring for people or organizations that go through disasters was El Salvador. They had had an incredible um, earthquakes many, many, many years ago. And so they organized and went into El Salvador and they've been there ever since and they feed 100,000 children a day. That's amazing. That's amazing. And so also, Compassion International is there, and Compassion International is working with local churches, and they're taking on children, and they give them education, and they care for 100,000 children a day in, through Compassion International. And so here's what's going to happen. 
we're going to tie all of those little things together in our church. And on November 21st, we're going to take a compassion, uh, a compassion convoy of hope um, offering. And, and we're calling it, and what we're calling it is we're taking their language, and they run this program called One Day to Feed the World. And here's what happens, is you pray about it, but what we're going to ask you to pray about is that maybe you would consider giving one day's salary. Whatever you make in the given day, like if you make 70 bucks, that on November 21st, we're going to take a special offering that's over and above your offering. And then we're going to take those dollars and we're going to give that to those organizations that help feed the poor. Does that make sense? And then our goal, yep, we're going to clap for that. We can, we can clap for that. And then my goal for our church is this, is that every year, at least once, one to two times a year, that we take a group of people, we go drop into El Salvador. I have this little plushy hotel that I stay at that's, that's plushy, but it's cheap. It's inexpensive. And, and then we're going to drop in there. We're going to go visit our, our, uh, our um, compassion children. And then we'll go work at a uh, Convoy of Hope feeding center. And then we'll spend two or three days helping train pastors so that they lead better churches. And I'm going to invite you guys to go with me. And so that's going to be the plan, okay? And so that's where we're going. And so November 24th, so next week when you come to church, I'm going to give you packets that explain all this. And then you're going to get a little button that you can wear to your office. And, you're, and it just says, one day to feed the world. And it's going to do two things for you. It's going to give you an opportunity when you wear that. It's going to give you an opportunity that your coworkers are going to be like, what is that about? And you say, oh, oh, my church. My church is going to take, um, we're asking people to give one day's salary that would go to feed the poorest of the poor in El Salvador. It's going to give you an opportunity to tell something that your church is doing. It's going to also give you an opportunity to be a witness of who Jesus is in your life. Okay? And so I want you to start praying about that. We'll talk about it this week. We're going to talk about it next week. And on November 21st, we're going to take a special offering that's over and above our tithing and giving. And that money is going to go specifically to those organizations. Is that cool? All right, let's pray. Because we got some work to do today. Father, we would come before you right now in this moment. And Lord, I don't use this prayer as a transition between a conversation and a message. I literally use this as a moment to say, Lord, would you come? Would you speak to our hearts? Would you draw out the things that you need to draw out in us? And Lord, would you just remind us that in all things, God, you are good. In Jesus' name we pray. Whole church said? Amen. 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 Okay. We're starting a new series today, and I'm calling it Cultivate. I'm going I'm to explain a couple things to you. It's going to take me a while to lead into it. I would normally do this series in the spring. Spring is when you do a series called Cultivate. But I really do believe that God is wanting to cultivate some things in our lives right now that he wants to draw out of us in the future. Um, as we finish the last series, uh, in the second week of it, I was sitting back where my wife and I sit as we sit in worship, and the Lord literally spoke to me and said, Paul, I want you to recognize that the series you're in is a prophetic word for the future to come. Now, here's what you need to know about that. First of all, 
I don't think the Lord in 35 years of ministry has ever told me, hey, the series you're in is a prophetic word for the future to come. So that has never been a word that the Lord has spoken to me. And so when the Lord speaks something like that to me, I have to look at that and I have to pause and I say, okay, Lord, I'm listening. I'm listening. Now, when we talk about prophecy, there's two things that you need to know about prophecy. So when God says this is a prophetic word of something in the future to come, here's the very first thing you need to know about prophecy. Prophecies are always used to prepare the church for hard things to come. You never look in scripture and say, hey, thus saith the Lord, you're going to win the lottery. It's going to be awesome. Like, it's going to be so good. Literally, prophecy is always, always, always the Lord literally saying, hey, church, wake up. Pay attention. There's hard things coming. You know, when you look at Scripture and, and the, the stories that we just walked through in our talk, Not My Plan, we talked about Noah, and God comes to Noah and says, hey, I want you to build a boat. He wasn't saying, hey, Noah, would you please build the first party boat, the first party barge, right? Like, you guys are just going to be awesome. He's saying, no, like, there's going to come a day when rain and storm is coming, and I want you to be prepared for it. With Joseph, he, he came to Joseph and he said, Joseph, you have seven years to prepare for seven bad years. It was a prophetic word that he said, Joseph, you are now in a time of harvest. Pay attention because there's a time of, 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 of famine coming and you have seven years to prepare for seven years of famine. And so there's always this moment when God speaks prophecy or gives the church a prophetic word. It's literally saying, hey, church, I want you to be prepared. You need to prepare for the future. Here's the second thing that you need to know about prophecy. Prophecies are not supposed to scare you. They're supposed to prepare you. It's so interesting that so many people, like they're afraid to read the book of Revelation because that's a book of prophecy, and they're like, that's scary. See, God doesn't give us the book of Revelation so that we would be scared, but he gives us the book of Revelation that we would be prepared. Like, like that's what it's supposed to be for. The, the, a, a prophecy is supposed to prepare you, not scare you. They serve as warnings. They serve as warnings. But there's this thing that God's doing that he's saying, hey, church, it's time to get prepared. It's time to get prepared. Now, let's, let's take a time out for a second. And let's just put prophecy over here to the side. Let's just talk about you and I and our culture currently right now. I don't believe that there's a person alive currently living in America who's paying attention who's thinking five months from now is going to be better than today. I, I think that most everybody in our culture is literally going, oh, whoa, things are about to get hard. Are you with me? I think that, I think that everybody's seeing that. So, so when, when the Lord comes in and says, hey, listen, this series that you just taught, yes, it was a great word, but it's a word that you need to be prepared for the future. That It's a prophetic word of saying, hey, it's time to get prepared. It's not time to be scared. It's time to be prepared. Noah's story was a story about Noah responding in faith in the midst of a prophecy. 
You understand that, right? Joseph's story isn't a story of being afraid. It's not afraid of being scared. It's literally Joseph responding to a prophetic word in faith. Where he says, okay, Lord, I believe you. I see that. Yep, I see that. I understand that. So normally I would do a series like Cultivate in the spring, but I think the Lord is trying to prepare us for the spring. So let me, let me change this a little bit, right? So I think that Jesus, Jesus when you read Jesus' stories, there's lots and lots of stories where he's literally giving you parable after parable after parable after parable, and he's saying, you need to be prepared. Prepare. And all of us, hopefully have moments in our life where we prepared for something that God was teaching us to be prepared for and that when we prepared for it, it paid enormous, wonderful dividends. Right? So, so let, me, let me give you some. How many of you are grateful that somewhere along the line, maybe you learned it from your parents, maybe you learned it from a coach, maybe you learned it from a friend's family, you learned self-discipline in certain areas of your life, and those areas of self-discipline have paid incredible dividends in your life. You literally have not endured the pain that so many of your friends and family endured because somewhere along the line, you learned um, self-discipline, and you did not give yourself to the things that your friends or your family gave yourself to, and you literally look back, and you didn't even think it was that big a deal, but now you look back and you're like, I'm so glad that I showed self-discipline in my life. You see, I, I think maybe if, you, if you're in the room and you somewhere along the line, you picked up f- financial stewardship. Like somewhere somebody taught you, don't go in debt. Don't, don't use credit cards to, to run your life. Don't do those things. And so somewhere in your life, you picked up financial stewardship even when you were young. And now you look back, and maybe it's been years, but now you look back and you're literally receiving the reward of blessing when it comes to practicing financial stewardship. And you're not experiencing the same things that maybe others experience. You know, I think about my dad. In 1963, when my mom and dad got married, my dad walked into his reception directly after the wedding. He walked into his reception area, and there's this huge party going on. It's a, it's a really good rejoicing time. And as he walked into the room, he literally grew up in a home of alcoholics And he recognized that in that moment, alcohol would not serve him being a family man. And he stopped drinking, and there was never, ever any alcohol inside of our home. And I didn't endure the things that alcoholics pass on to their children and alcoholic families experience. That I grew up in a blessing because my dad showed self-restraint in an area that had just ruined our family for years. Maybe it's spiritual practices. But you look up and you see that, that, you have, that God prepares you in an area of your life and that because you follow his ways in an area of your life, you see tons of blessing in that. You see, the same is true that all of us know someone, and maybe it's ourselves, but maybe it's just someone we know, and you look at that they've given themselves over to an area of their life that, that has literally... It started off as a small thing, but years later, it has grown into a root of of evil. 
If you've ever known somebody that has given themselves to bitterness, somebody who's angry, and it starts off that when they're young, they don't know what to do with their anger, and so they just shove it and shove it and shove it and shove it, and then they get older and older and older and older, and the anger turns from anger, and it turns into bitterness, and it turns into cruelty, and it just turns into like every conversation is a negative conversation about somebody else and it's somebody else's fault and you watch this over and over and over play out in people's lives sometimes it's alcoholism maybe that you grew up partying when you like you just were just trying to have a good time with your friends and yet years later when all the parties have stopped now you still have the issue in your life and maybe it's an issue in your marriage or maybe it's an issue that's private and, and alcohol now rules you in a way that you never intended for it to and it's causing destruction. Maybe it's sexual regrets that you end up in relationships and every relationship turns into a sexual relationship. And you wish it wouldn't, but it just does. And the very thing that, you, that is intended to be a place in your life that should be holy or should be something that's honoring is actually now a source of shame. And you watch all of these things and they play themselves out. And so I want to take these two passages today I want to take Matthew chapter 13, and I want to read it, and then I'm going to come through Galatians chapter 5. So we're going to take two passages, and we're going to mesh them together. And so if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 13. If you have your iPhone, if you have your your smartphone, your smart device, open up to Matthew chapter 13. If you have the ability, I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. It says this. It says, later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, and so he got into a boat. Then he sat there and he taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. He said, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across the fields, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly, but the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. I don't know why when I read scripture and I read words like, they died. It sounds super dark. Like, super like, oh my gosh, they died. Other tender plants, still other seeds, fell on fertile soil, and they proceeded a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as they had planted. Now catch this next sentence. This next sentence is super important. Verse 9. He says, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. He literally just tells this story, and he says, do you know who should understand this story? People with ears. Like, you're like, that's everybody. He's literally, he tells a story and he says, he says, the people that should get how this story works is anybody that has ears should understand it. You're like, well, that's me. That's me. And so then, then Paul, Paul writes these words. And now this is interesting about Paul. Paul was this guy that before he was Paul, his name was Saul right? And Saul was this guy that lived a life that was completely contrary to the way that God would have him live his life, although he thought he was trying to live a life that honored God. But 
when Paul has this unbelievable, spectacular revelation, God literally changes his heart. And when he changes his heart, Paul changes his name. Because originally his name was Saul. You know that, right? Now, here's the interesting about, thing about Saul, uh, the, the name about Paul, that Paul chooses this name Paul. And I'll tell you why that's interesting in just a second. When I was 12 years of age, my sister was getting ready to have her first child. And she had left a baby book laying around our house because when you have your first child, you're looking at trying to figure out what the baby's name should be. And so me and my brothers are hanging out. It's a summer afternoon. And my brother is looking at the name and he finds his name and he's like, hey, guess what my name means? Jesse, warrior of God. I'm like, that's awesome. And my brother, Miles, he reaches over, he finds his name in the baby book, and it says something like, Defender of Heaven. Like, amazing name. Warrior of God, Defender of Heaven. And I'm like, give me the book, give me the book. And I reach over and I find my name, Paul, and it means small one. <laughs> oh, you got to be kidding me. I'm already a little kid with a complex. I'm 12 years of age. Every day I run into, into the kitchen where my mom has this line where she you know, like marks to see how tall you are. I'm like, Mom, have I grown? Have I grown? And every day the answer is no. And so there's this moment in Paul's life where he gets to choose a new name, and he chooses small one. What a stupid choice. But really what he was trying to choose was, this is the posture I want to have. I, I want to be small before the Lord so that his kingdom shines great, that his kingdom is big. And there's just this posture of, Lord, if I could choose anything, Lord, I just want to be small before you so that, Lord, that you'll be great and you'll be big. And so there's this moment. And so when Paul writes these words to the church of Galatia, he says these words. He says, so let the Holy Spirit guide your life. And then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. He says the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. He says these two forces are constantly fighting with each other. And so you're not free to carry out the good, your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Holy Spirit, you are not under the obligation to the law of Moses. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. You get caught up in idolatry and sorcery and hostility and quarreling and jealousy and outbursts of anger and selfish ambition and dissension and division. You even get caught up in envy and drunkenness and wild parties and other sins like these. He says, now let me tell you this again, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. I, I want to pause on that for a second. Like, sometimes we want to read this passage and we just kind of like, like want to gloss over that. Jesus literally just said, if your life is producing this fruit, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. If your life is ruled by anger, 
If your life is ruled by envy, if your life is ruled by drunkenness or wild parties or quarreling, if your life is ruled by selfish ambition, he said, don't miss this. That will not get you into the kingdom of God. That no matter what you think, no matter what you say, no matter what you want to pretend, that these kind of things aren't how you get into God's kingdom. Amen, Paul. He says, but the Holy Spirit in you will produce this other kind of fruit in our lives. The Holy Spirit in you will produce love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. The Holy Spirit will create gentleness and self-control. And there's no law against these things. He literally, there's this thing that we like, like, well, we should make a rule around that. Well, you shouldn't have to have a rule that says, hey, just be nice. As Christians, we shouldn't have to have rules that say, hey, be kind. He's saying there's no, there's no reason to have rules around that. Let the Holy Spirit produce something in your life that's loving and kind and good and patient and that's, that's faithful. He says those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another to jealousy. And so here's the big problem. The big problem is this. The Bible, that throughout our life, says that we're continually sowing seeds, right? That you and I are continually sowing seeds. And if we're sowing good seeds, those good seeds become blessings in our lives. And they bless our friends, and they bless our family, and they bless our children, and they bless our neighbors. And really, truthfully, if you're throwing out good seeds, you end up blessing people that you don't even know. You bless the girl at the grocery store, and you bless the girl at the gas station, and you bless the, the guy at McDonald's. And, and like when you come through, they're like, man, I like that person. And then there's this other problem. That sometimes we have seeds that we've sown in our life that not only are they not a blessing, but they have cultivated um, negative things that are affecting our friends and our family and our neighbors and the person at the grocery store. They cause division and outspokenness and anger. Matthew, in Matthew, Jesus Matthew records these words from Jesus in Matthew 12. It says, a tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. And if a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for the idle words you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. And there's this moment that Jesus is talking about that we all will have where we stand before him. And he just says, tell me about your life. What would other people say about you? Come on, tell me about your life. How'd you do? If I bring your friends and your family up here, what are they going to say about you? Does anybody in any way know that the kingdom of God came through you? And so there's this thing that I want you to catch this morning. I've just got three points, and I know that we're already at top of the hour, and so I'll be short, but you got to catch these things this morning. 
You see, Jesus is literally saying, your life will produce what you cultivate. Whatever you are cultivating in your life right now is what it's going to produce. And to think that your life will produce something else is crazy. To think that you can walk around just cultivating anger and think that people are going to think you're loving and kind is nuts. That your life can only produce what you cultivate. If you cultivate compassion and kindness, then your life will produce compassion and kindness. If you cultivate love and mercy, then your life will produce love and mercy. If you cultivate bitterness, envy, or jealousy, then your life will cultivate that. That's what will show up. There's this passage. It's one of the most famous passages in Scripture. And the interesting part was it was written by this prophet Ezra in uh, 586 B.C. while he was a captive in Babylon along with Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Esther, Daniel, there is this prophet, Ezra. And if you were to open up your Bible to the center of the book of the, of the, of the Bible, you, you'd land on Psalms 119. Psalms 119 is the exact center of Scripture. And in that moment, Ezra, who's a captive in Babylon, who is prophesying about the destruction of Israel and because of the choices that they had been making and that God was actually going to return them to Jerusalem and redeem them, he asked this question, how does a person stay pure? In the light of a world that has gone crazy, how do you stay pure? And he writes these words. Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search with him with all their heart. They do not compromise with evil. They walk only in paths you have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. And oh, that my actions would constantly reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. And he says, please don't give up on me. Come on, have you ever prayed that prayer? Come on, like this week, right? Like this week, it's like, oh God, I'm sorry. Please don't give up on me. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I've tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. He says, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I will not sin against you. You see, followers of Jesus are called to prepare for difficult times. You see, I, I think there's this moment that the Lord calls us into, and the Lord gives us a picture of the future to say, hey, I want you to prepare for it, but there's a reason for it. It's not so that you're so much prepared. It's so that the church can be prepared to share. You, you do understand that when you gave your life to Jesus... You gave up your life, and he said, oh, here's what I want to do with your life. I want to use your life to serve others. You see, we prepare so that we can share, that we're others-minded, that we include others, and we care for others, and we help others, and we care for the sick, and we care for the poor, and we care for those who have need. There's this statement that we have. If you go out to the corner of, of over here where our sign that says the downtown Vineyard Church services at 9 and 11, it says a community of hope. 
That's always been our, our desire. The downtown Vineyard Church, a community of hope. But in order to be a community of hope, you also have to be a community that's willing to help. The two go together. In order to be hope, you also have to ante up and say, hey, how do we help? How do we help? Now let me tell you how I see it. Throughout Scripture, God gives the church a heads up about things to come, not so that we would avoid suffering, but so that we would be prepared to endure it. I, I literally believe the Lord's calling us to be prepared. The first is we prepare spiritually. And, and the way that we prepare spiritually is literally by addressing your spiritual life and just saying, how's it going? How are you doing with your relationship with the Lord? How's your heart? Are you cultivating things that reflect the kingdom of God? Are you cultivating love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control? Are you addressing the sin in your life? I, I love verse Eight, how can a young person stay pure? And then he answers it by hiding your word in my heart so that I will not sin against you. You see, we don't just pray. 86% of all the world prays. You see, the difference between Christians and non-Christians isn't whether you pray. 86% of all the world says that they, pr they pray regularly. The, the difference in as Christians, is that Christians are supposed to hear from the Lord. We're supposed to hear from the Lord. The Lord's supposed to speak to us. Speak to us about our friends. Speak to us about our family. Speak to us about times that we live in. There's this passage in Matthew chapter 25, and for the sake of time, I won't read it to you, but it's this passage that Jesus is literally, he ends with this, of like those that have ears, they should hear. And there's this thing that he's talking about. He's talking about these ten brides that Jesus is talking about that one day there's this bridegroom and he's going to come back and, he, and he's going to take on ten brides. And, and this bridegroom, nobody knows when he's going to come. He's going to come in the middle of the night. And so the deal is, is that the bridegrooms aren't waiting for the groom to show up. The bridegrooms are preparing for him to show up so that they're ready when he does show up. That it's, it's not the groom who's on the bride's time. It's literally the bride who is on the groom's time, and they're supposed to be prepared. And so that one of the things that they're supposed to be prepared for in this story is that they're supposed to have an, a, a, a lamp full of oil so that they can be able to see for the trip that they're going to go on. It says five of them are ready. And when the bride shows up, they're ready, and they say, let's go. And five of them are like, I just wasn't ready. Like, like, you mean right now? Like, now's the moment? And so they start saying, hey, would you give us your oil? And the others are like, no, no, we need our oil to be able to make the trip. And Jesus is literally saying this moment to the church. He's saying, are you ready for the moment that I come? We don't talk about that enough in church. The parable was to illustrate that as followers of Jesus, we're supposed to be ready both physically and spiritually. Let me give you the third point, and then I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up. You see, we prepare in good seasons so we don't fall away in difficult ones. You get that, right? When God gives us a heads up about what the future looks like, and he says, hey, I want you to be prepared. He's saying, I want you to be prepared in this good season. You prepare in this good season so you don't fall away in difficult seasons. Hard times are supposed to test people's faith. 
Peter writes this in 1 Peter 1.7. He says, you do know that trials will show if your faith is genuine. You see, faith is supposed to flourish when it's tested, not crumble. You see, here's what I believe is the problem with first world Christianity. I believe that for most Americans, our challenges are not enough to keep us pressed in to the spiritual disciplines we will need to get through hard times. Do you want to say that again? The average American's challenges are not enough to keep them pressed into spiritual disciplines they will need for hard times. Let me give you some examples. You say, well, what do you mean by that? I think it's ironic that as a church, and I'm not talking about our church, I'm talking about an American church, that so many times right now, the, the real struggle that first world Christians are struggling with is they spend too much time on Facebook. You literally get prayer requests that go, I need to spend less time on Facebook. I need God to give me self, more self-control. You do realize what a self, like a first world problem that is. Or, or like, I really need like God to give me control over my road rage. And what I'm saying is that the problems are not big enough to keep you pressed into spiritual disciplines. You see, when your problems are bigger than Facebook, and when your problems are bigger than road rage, and when your problems are big enough than, than trying to get over the hurts of your mom and dad who were jerks when you were growing up, When your problems are bigger than that, when your problems are food, when your problems are like you're not sure where your next meal is going to come from, then you stay pressed into spiritual disciplines. You see, God gives us moments and times that we prepare in good seasons so we don't fall away in hard times. And so if your, if your problems aren't big enough, then you need to press into God a little bit harder. Do you know what Jesus' last prayer was for his disciples? Don't you hate it when the pastor asks you a trivial pursuit question? Everybody's like, I know I'm supposed to know the answer to it, but I'm not sure. I hope he tells me. John 17, 16 and 17 Jesus is praying for his disciples. And in John 17, as he's ending up his finishing his prayer, he says, Lord, please do not take them out of this world. But would you be with them in it? He's saying, Lord, that when it gets hard, don't take them out of the things that are hard. But be with them right in the middle of it. So that they become hope for everybody around them that they become help for everybody around them, that they're not just a community of hope, but they're a community of help. And Lord, don't take them out of a struggle, but just be with them as they go through it. I believe that the Lord is calling us to cultivate a spirit of faith, to cultivate a spirit of faithfulness. I'm going to ask our worship team to Come back up. And so here's this moment that I'm going to ask you. How are you doing spiritually? How's your life with Jesus? Is it strong enough to get you through hard times? 
Because ironically, we don't like to talk about this in church. But from Genesis to Revelation, the story is the hope of Jesus. But you do recognize that that whole book, the whole book of the Bible, is is that God is with us in our difficulties. It's not that he spares us from them. It's that he stands with us in the fire as we go through them. How are you doing spiritually? What are you cultivating? How do you need to move towards Jesus in such a way that he shines through your life? You get small and you change your name from Saul to Paul. We're going to worship one more song. And I'm just going to ask, I haven't done this for a long time, but in this last song, Make a move. Cultivate a move towards Jesus. Take communion. Light a candle. Give your tithes and offerings. Um, pray with one of our, our, our elders or our pastors. I've been to just saying, hey, raise your hand where you're at and we'll come pray with you. But today I'm going to say, let's foster a sense of, hey, I want, I want to pray with somebody. I want to pray with one of our elders or our pastors or someone else. So elders, pastors, would you make your way and put yourself in a position to just say, hey, I would pray with you. But let's cultivate our heart towards the kingdom of God. You know, it's always interesting to come to these type of messages and I think, oh God, can't you give me something that sounds more fun? Can't you give me something a little less serious? If you know me, man, I'm just, you know, I'm party Paul. I, I love to laugh and to giggle and to do crazy, silly things. And in that moment... But I love these moments because there's these moments where the Lord literally gives you a heads up and goes, hey, be ready. Hey, be ready. Be ready spiritually. Be ready physically. So, okay, so I'm, I'm going to take this a little bit further. And this may be, you may be looking and going, oh, he has gone a little bit crazy. Here's how Linnea and I pre- are preparing. First of all, spiritually, we're just digging into God's word. We're praying more together. We're literally just believing God that like his promises, that when you read the promise, we go, hey, that's a promise. Hey, that's a promise. I believe that promise. I'm not going to let my faith be shaken. Like we're just, we're just like digging down deep with our faith. And then we're preparing physically. You know, a bunch of years ago, we, we stopped using credit cards and got out of the credit card game a long time ago, so we don't carry credit card debt. We're buying a little extra food. Maybe that sounds crazy. But if we have extra, then we can be extra helpful to our neighbors and our friends. And then if I'm just like completely wrong, then we'll just have a big barbecue at my house. <laughs> like we will, we'll use it to turn it into a party. But we're literally arranging our life in such a way that we have extra for those that are in our life. As a church, I'm going to be asking our church to move towards that and just say, hey, would you guys help us that we could create some space that we have extra around here to help people in need? Tomorrow, we're going to give away a bunch of food in the parking lot. It's our food distribution. I love that thing. But I would just say this. What if we leave and just say, okay, God, give me eyes to see the future. Give me ears to hear what you're doing. 
And Lord, would you prepare me and help me prepare to be help to others? That wouldn't be bad, right? That'd be a good church. That'd be a good way to exercise your faith. So let's pray. Lord, that we would this morning just make this commitment that we're going to step into it, Lord. And we're saying, Lord, would you use our lives to be hope and help? Lord, would you help us get into a position that would be helpful for your kingdom for hard things to come? Would you prepare us spiritually and would you help us prepare physically? Lord, would you fill us with your spirit that we would exude love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Lord, and we pray, don't take us out of the hard times. But Lord, would you be with us right in the middle of them. And we will put your word in our hearts so that we would not sin against you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you. Have a great day. Hey, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and share it with your friends. If you find this tool valuable and would like to support this ministry, you can do so easily through our DTV app or on our website, dtvchurch.org forward slash give. God bless you and have a great rest of your week.